welcome to another episode of the Neoliberal Round Podcast. Today's episode is entitled Breaking News, Another Murder in Germantown, Philadelphia. How Banks Perpetuate Poverty, COVID and Laziness at Work, and HBO's House of the Dragon featuring Ricardo McKenzie and Maurice Smith. Today's episode comments on a breaking news story where assailants using an AK-47 gunned down down another black brother in Germantown, Philadelphia, just two nights ago. We explore the impact and cause of this and consider possible solutions to the rising gun gun violence, despite Biden's recent move to ban or limit AK-47s and the use of certain high-powered weapons. But this killing seems to be a revenge shooting or one that was involved or one that involved a beef because of the way the shooting was done, it was quite intense. Now, the episode is broken up into four main segments. Segment one is the breaking news, entitled, Another Murder in Germantown, Philadelphia Comes Close to Home. Segment two, we look at how banks and bookstores help to perpetuate poverty and maintains income inequality in society. Segment three, we look at COVID and laziness at work, featuring my twin brother, Ricardo McKenzie, where we linked up and connected in Jersey Shore, New Jersey, and we had a brief discussion about laziness and work. And in segment four, we look we looked at HBO's House of the Dragon, which provides a strategy and best practice with Maurice Smith. The Neoliberal is brought to you by Ronaldo McKenzie, who is author of Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and Resistance and lead the Neoliberal Corporation, which is serving the world today to solve tomorrow's challenges. Visit us at https, thenealiberal.com, or renaldocmckenzie.com. Subscribe to the podcast for free at https, colon, forward slash, forward slash, anchor.fm, slash, thenealiberal, and donate to us at anchor.fm, slash, thenealiberal, slash, support. Now, this podcast, The Neoliberal Round, is available on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Podvine, Google Podcast, and on the Alexa app and devices, RonaldoCMcKenzie.com, and also by visiting TheNeoliberal.com. Now, you can participate in our community question by considering the question, how do banks and bookstores help to perpetuate poverty and maintain income inequality in society? We have this coming up in the, on, the, on the show today, and we are looking forward to your feedback. So send us a feedback and tell us how we did today. This is the Neil Brown Podcast. We'll be right back after these messages. Yesterday was what day? Sunday. Today's Monday? Saturday night. Saturday night I closed the door to the car. I had forgotten something so I went, I stepped outside and I went um, to get something from my car on my, on my street where I live. And as I was closing the door, I heard baka 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 just like that baka 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 just like that and I immediately said wait at first I thought it was a firecracker but instantly within a second but within a split second but then I said no that's not the firecracker because it was baka 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 
the way how it is. I said, whoa, that. And then there was silence. I said, whoa. I said, that's an AK-47. And within 15 seconds of that, I heard again, baka, baka, baka. So it was it. So it wasn't a pie, pie, pie. It was baka, baka, baka. Baka, baka, baka. That was in Germantown. And I heard it coming from up on Washington Lane towards Baton. And I said to myself, okay, wow, somebody just got shot. And they used an AK-47. And I said to myself, wow. I said, wait for it. Because I was listening for the for sirens or for a car to for some kind of drive. And I said, it wasn't any shootout as if two groups of people were shooting. One, I said to, to myself, somebody was directing at some for another group of people and there was no response. That's what I said. That's what, what that was what I said initially. Then and that was just up a couple blocks, a few blocks from where I live. <laughs> yeah, I Okay, up the street from here, and and um, I said and I I said let me go. So as I yes, as I go inside, as I was about to now go into my apartment, I heard a car speeding up the hill towards up up towards my way. Heading toward Shelton Avenue to the Mucord gas station. So I said, wow. And I initially thought probably that's with the criminals. But I hurriedly went into my apartment. That was about a couple blocks from where I live, about one, two, three, four, five, about ten blocks. I mean, but the blocks are very small between on Germantown and Wellington in between these blocks. It was quite. And then I heard sirens. And then. A woman, and, some, and of course, I heard a woman scream, scream, screaming, and then I, and then we learned later that someone got killed. We learned well that night, as I stepped outside, I learned that someone got killed, and of course, we, someone got killed, and apparently, it was someone who is married. Yes, it was a family man at the household. So we don't, we and we don't, um, we don't know too much about. But I'm telling you what, from from someone who he I I, I they, you've heard lots of reports regarding this particular incident shooting but of course they use an AK-47 and I know recently there was some kind of gun reform where they were trying to um, prevent these kind of um, heavy weapons in the hands of people but whether it was heavy weapon or whether it was a small weapon there was there was a shooting and someone died and they did it. They, the first when they hit when they shot the first time, baka baka baka. It they, they it did hit the person, but they did it again as if they there was really some kind of anger, conflict, or friction between these. There was some beef. There was you know when someone when there was a robbery, there's a shoot, and you know they shoot and run. But when when there's some contract killing involved or and someone or when you see the way in which it was done an AK-47 multiple gunshot wounds they shot and then I was I was in the vicinity and I heard the shooting and it was paka 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 and they did it and the person felt it would hit the person the person obviously it, I heard there was a connection and they did it again so there is much so it the intensity the intensity suggests the intensity of the beef. I'm telling you, when in this in the 21st century, when people have beef, this is how they they resolve it. Now it's just now you know the 21st. You know there is a you know people there is no value the term of the the attitude towards life. And I said some time ago when we look at what attitude attitudes when we talk about attitude attitudes are general evaluations that people placed on certain things placed based on value. But people's values are changing. Morals are. We said in a, in a previous podcast that we said that morals are changing, and that people Gen, Gen Z don't have no morals and much morals anymore. 
or we live in a world that much more is done to because people are more are, 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 are no longer guiding people's lives they do anything and there's no premium and of course we talk about the social decay in society we talk about the the theft and the auto theft that's happening in Germantown and Philadelphia and in cities across the US and we talk about how these people how young people and many are being desensitized to these things by Grand Theft Auto and we, you know the parenting with this lack of it or but you know but I'm telling you this as a society we need to we need to look at the real issues and our condolences to people to the to the to the family that uh, of of this victim and um, and we hope that the police will get to the root of this but we hope that they, we have we continue to have wider discussions not just stop the violence campaign into, by marching and saying stop the violence but looking at ways we can actually stop the violence serious ways we can do this say for example conflict management especially you know as people in in income and in educate education people's critical thinking skills and educational levels sometimes i wonder prevent people from making decisions and thinking clearly about their actions and how their actions affect others and a person must presume the consequences of his actions so he shouldn't run when he tried to take a life when you take a life you shouldn't run okay a man is presumed the consequences of his actions but you know but i'm telling you, as a society there is this desensitization there's no there's this more underdeveloped conscious consciences and how we look at how we deal with conflict and everybody everybody had the right to bear arm i have the right to bear arm as an american citizen and i have that right to bear arm not to to take the life of my fellow brother of my brother and sister but to protect country and to protect the life of others when that life is in jeopardy but today the gun and taking somebody's life is sport it's sport and there is no regard for the sanctity of life when we talk about what's the ultimate ethic and that's what when we talk about um when we talk about patriotism and americanism what it means to be american we're talking about we all is up in arms about abortion rights and so on and people have the right to abort when what look what's going on in society there is no value for self and the individual and the right to life life is we none of us have any right to take anybody's life and to make a determination and a judgment about somebody else's life um life none of us and that is what we should be marching as society right now because there the value and the premium of life life is no longer to, to preserve somebody's life is no longer the highest ethic what's the highest ethic is just to think about me and i don't care care about nobody else but me and we miss the next person but you know i'm telling you man i we have a serious problem in this country we see serious problems it's all a part of human nature and how we are driven and and the, and the various things that we continue to create to maintain and to continue to 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 whisk away any sense of morality We have so much to discuss in the Nearly Boy Wrong podcast today. Coming up, you know, so, but this is a somber moment. And I had to uh, join the, the chorus of people who are talking about this because this news affects me. It affects us here at the Nearly Boy Wrong podcast. And um, so we have much to say. And we have much more to discuss in, on, the, on the show today. So... Stay tuned. Join. Um, stay tuned and uh, stay for the ride. There's much to discuss. We'll be right back after these messages. Yeah, that's right. 
But yes, I interviewed T.L. Jackson. T.L. Jackson is the author of I'm Not a Hypocrite, I'm Human. And oh, so you went to the football game, Ford Field. Great way to start off football season. Go, Birds. Did the Eagles win? We did. You were at the Eagles game? Yeah. When was this? Sunday. That's what I went to Oh, it wasn't in Philadelphia yet. You went out of Philadelphia. Yeah, that's what I went to Detroit for. To go to the Eagles season opener. Okay. That's, okay. that's everybody that went with us. That's nice. What was it? Like, what was, how was it? How, was the, how did the Eagles play? Good. They look like they have a good chance? Um, for our division, yeah. I think so. I've been doing fantasy football with Ricardo and bro. My, you know, I'm in a fantasy league. Oh, the, Jer- the real Jersey Shore. The, oh, the Georgia Shore, the real Georgia Shore Fantasy League. And let me tell you, that, that Fantasy League is popping. It We have about 12 to 15 um, uh, persons in that league. And trust me, the first day was... My team lost, but we were projected to lose. But at some point of the, of, during the games, I was lead, my, I, my fantasy team was took over and was projected to win just by a slight 10% or more. But Dak Prescott... From the Cowboys. I know I don't like the Cowboys. And you know he got hurt. Yes. Uh-huh. But you know I don't like the Cowboys anyways. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, he's my quarterback. My research assistant chose him and I was number two on the draft. Were you fantasy? Yes. Oh, I was... Out for six to eight weeks. Listen, I, he, I, I'm going to have to go with Matt Ryan, who is not no top, top, top um, quarterback. He's good, but he's not right. that good. You know I what agree. I mean? I agree. But he got 20 points. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. But I was saying you, I. Who has Baker Mayfield? I don't even know who has him, but um, but it's it's quite intense. It's quite intense what's going on with our league. Trust me, it is intense. And but I'm gonna share that with some of my podcast people. Some update. But fantasy football is really fun, especially if you don't know much about football and you come from a strong soccer country like Jamaica. Oh, we call we say football. You know when you play fantasy, it, it doesn't matter your level. You can play fantasy. The first time I did it, I don't know what I was doing. But towards the end of last year, I was in... I almost went to the playoffs. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, yeah, I remember. I, oh, I was doing... I was in... I, no, game. to Sheldon or Sheldon. somebody. But I was, I won a couple games and I learned how to... But trust me, fantasy, Yahoo Fantasy and the way how Yahoo Fantasy does, they, they, they do a very good job, you know. But I interviewed this, young, um, this, this lady this businesswoman, former banker, okay. who eventually owned a cafe at 60th and Oxford in Philadelphia. She sold that, but she's an author. Now she wrote a book and um, another book coming, she had another book that's coming, Purpose Through the Pain. And um, she's a strong Christian woman, woman of faith. And I noticed when people of faith, they are usually successful. I mean, people of faith are, they always have to tell you a story about something divine, something inspirational. Steve Harvey, uh, Oprah, basis, yeah, you know, LeBron James, you know, he's a man of faith. I mean, but he's not going to tell you that he goes to church like a reverend and stuff. He'd probably say like, he would probably identify with Steve Harvey who said, oh, I'm 2% Christian. <laughs> but, you know, I want to talk about two issues that I learned. I, I learned to, you know, that is why it's so powerful to do podcasts and to talk to people. You learn so much. I mean, I love the opportunity to to interview people, to talk to people, to learn from people. I mean, I'm learning so much about society even more. You know, I, I'm an academic, so I study, I read a lot. But it's good to read what everyday people are saying and connect it. It's very important to do that. If you cannot, say for example, I was about to te- I was going to teach a school called theology today, and I said that your th- your theology must speak must speak to the reality of the day. Okay, theology must speak to must sorry must speak to the the issues that 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 people have help to work out societal problems, but in more often than not, it creates more problems than it resolves. <laughs> you know. But this is what I learned from speaking with T.L. Jackson. Two things. And I'm here recording this. And I have to record it. I have to share this with my podcast. And although they may have heard it before, I have to say to that they hear it clearly. Two things I learned. One, from talking with Miss Jackson. 
Miss Jackson said, and I, you know, I'm an author and I'm about to publish another book. She said, I asked her about her book and how it was doing in terms of market. She said, it's not available in local bookstore. I'm like, I am, so here is your African-American, here is Philadelphia, a local Philadelphia author, wrote an amazing book, and I'm not hypocrite, I'm human. Very inspirational book that everybody should read. I'm telling you that, powerful book. It's nowhere, but you know why? I said to you, why is that so? Why isn't your book in Philadelphia's bookstores? Uncle Bob bookstores, Harriet Tubman bookstores. Uncle Bobby's in German town, uh, Harriet Tubman bookstore, those bookstores and stuff. There's so many books. Um, Black and Noble. I went to Black and Noble. I went to Tubman. I went to Uncle Bob, and my book is not there. I left copies of my book and everything. And my book was, I, you know, is is well studied, well researched. Some of the the best minds worked on that book with me. Okay, Martin Oppenheimer, Rita Bernard, Walter Litt. Philippe Bourgeois, so on and so forth. Okay? And the book was reviewed as an erudite analysis, economic analysis. Okay? And my book is, they did not even reach out to me. I even critique Uncle Bobby's on Google saying that they are a bookstore that's supposed to help uplift African-American community and fix... Yes, that's what they say in their statement. And many of them get funding from the government and private individuals because they are black, they're African-American, they are, you know, they come from the... Yes, they come from the community. Lamont Hill, yes, and I, I, I actually friended him. All the... And the books... They're not public, and you know what she said to me? Because I'm not connected in the ways that I need to be connected in order to get my books in these bookstores. That is disappointing, and that's what's going on. If you're not a big name writer, big name, or if you are not connected with these people who are supposed to be different, and I'm telling you now, we talk about classism. Black people are quick to point fingers on what they don't have and this and we talk about discrimination but as soon as we get a taste of power as soon as we become part of the one percent guess what we become part of the one percent we start acting like the one percent so that is why sometimes you know when you see how some caucasian or some people are behaving they are saying please don't i'm i'm human i'm not a hypocrite <laughs> they said that's what happened when what... Is that a human thing, though, to be... Hist- you know, Martin Oppenheimer said, history has always been about that. Okay, where classes clash. And when one class win the day, wins the day, then they do the same thing. Outmaneuver the other classes by doing other things. And then so, and so the cycle continues. Okay? But I'm saying to you, this is... So, but, so that's the first thing. But another major thing I learned from her is about banking because she was a banker and I'm, and she worked her way to the top. She has no degree and she but she worked her way to the top regional I mean, manager. I've heard of it. I've heard yes. It's not impossible. My mom, I mean, she wasn't at the very top of her field, but she was going there close to it. Yes. She took her years to do it without years. anything because, but a high school. Because back in the days, that was the expectation. That was yes. supposed to happen, you know? Right. You graduate, black people were expected not to graduate with a college degree, they were expected to graduate with high school or grade nine, right. and then get a, a low job and work for right. 10, 50 years, right. Right. and then get to the top and then, right. yes, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's quite interesting, she became a banker, and she learned, but she told me, she learned, I, she told me one thing, she dropped, she dropped word, knowledge, or information. She said, banks love it when you when banks make money off low-income people more than anything else especially back in the day when they allowed you to default on your loan or give you a loan that you yes or you know what uh-huh. I mean? and um when they would charge you off overdraft fees now that's the thing how they get you, you know, and you're supposed to have a minimum Balance in your account. Your, account. your low I, income I, living from paycheck I, I to paycheck. And you don't use the credit You use credit unions. Yeah. Okay, so you, you don't use regular bank because yeah. of this. Yeah. That's yeah. good. And I said to myself, right. probably that's and I also stopped using my card for everything. Yes. Because I was constantly, constantly getting charged overdraft fees. Yes. I was in college, like right. as a college student, you're already poor. Yes. You know what I mean? So I and so my mom just said to me, I said, Mom. I'm like $30 here, $30 here, $30 here for this yeah, yeah. please. And she said, don't fuck your card in. 
And from that point, like, I know it's not, it worked for me because I do have, you know. Yeah. It worked for me, but um, I just stopped carrying cash at that point. I mean, I stopped carrying, using my card at that point. Like, uh, I didn't use my card anymore after that point. And, you know, now I think they are a little bit less basically on the overdraft fees. I think there are certain protections for consumers now where they can't keep on hitting you with those overdraft fees. But back in the day, when I was in college, they could. And my mother just said, well, They're still hitting people with overdraft fees. Are they really? Yes. Oh $30, God, $36. Okay, one time it was up. yes. So they are still hitting people with thirty six, and it's and the people who don't make any money are okay. And then again, some some things that you apply for, and this is the wor- the worst thing about it. Some things you apply for, you have to have an established bank. The same yes. Say for example, I'm a businessman, and I apply for a loan for my business, and no, I mean if and if that credit union or that bank is not. Uh, right, established mm-hmm. that okay, and and can't be identified verified by the played system. I understand. You can't get that loan. I understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm also in the process of buying a car right. And now. I am telling you that was, but the the worst thing about it, the worst thing about it is, you know, I told you, you know me, I used to be a financial advisor with TD Bank, Bank yeah. and part of my job are the financial services advisor was to work with high-yield investors, high-yield people who make a lot, who have a lot of money, okay? No, but listen, no, but I'm going somewhere with this argument. Remember what what T.L. Jackson told us? T.L. Jackson said, the banks make money off low-income people because they cannot maintain minimum balances and they're always overthrown and to afford, okay? So they make the money, Okay, so they, they make the money. Where does the... They charge the fees. Listen, oh I'm telling you, man, this is really deep what I'm about to say. Look, I want you to follow this here. Follow the story, the argument. I work with very wealthy people. And in order for the bank to attract wealthy people, you know what they do? They give them fees and um, interest. They pay... Okay? They pay you. An interest because rich people want to know how much I'm going to get. How much? What is the interest? Okay, not the, not how much the interest that they are charging, but how much the interest I'm and how much am I being paid to have my money in this, in this particular bank. account all this time? Where does the money get? Where does the bank get the money to pay the interest? Of course, we say well they invest the money, they invest the funds, and so on and so forth. But that, that's not the only way they get the money. They get the money from. Yes, low-income people who cannot maintain the minimum balance, okay? That's how they made the money. They made the money and then, so you have two different customers. Those who cannot maintain a minimum balance and those who can. Those who cannot maintain a minimum balance, they open an account for you, okay? And those who can. And, the, and so the, the interest, so rich people are already rich. Poor people are already poor. And, and, and guess what? Banks help to perpetuate this discrimination, this poverty, where they keep some people down at the expense of others, okay? By creating systems and accounts that lock you into a system where you have to pay fees, and then they take those fees that they collect and pay rich people, or people that have have 50, 100,000 of dollars in their bank account, and they give them interest, in addition to, of course, them trying to make money on the stock market and investing your putting your money on various instruments but if the bank guarantees that you're going to make 3.5 percent on your say on savings or on certain fixed annuities or certain annuities or whatever the case might be and the bank does not make the money to pay you that where they have they still have to give you that money especially if you're in a fixed if it's a fixed annuity or some kind of of, of low risk um, savings or investment account that you have, the bank save face by charging fees to cover that. It's just I said to people, I do not believe in the stock market. You will never see me investing in the stock market. I will never do that. I don't make enough money. The stock market is for rich people. The stock market is the biggest transfer scheme. Money is straight tra- Okay? I and I told you about the Robin Hood program and how they shut it down because people who didn't have business making money yes. made money off it. Right. 
because the rich people who con who work who who are the puppeteers who who control the stock market and who have the money to to back or to not back or to bet on stock which drive up or down depending on how they bet because they have the money to bet and if they bet against the stock then you lose and then what happens is that when a group of people bet bet in favor of the stock and the stock did well and the rich people are the people the insiders lost money okay and the government and the government shut down the program the state the, the government who's supposed to be working on behalf of all people the, 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 the in a capitalist system that's supposed to make everything equitable and equal they say well you know it's not supposed to work like that because yes it's not supposed to work like that because the system's supposed to do supposed to guarantee certain things this is how nafta wasn't supposed to work like that that's why you pull out of nafta re recreate it reauthorize it and then go back into nafta because nafta was good up until you weren't making you weren't benefiting as well as you as you you used to benefit up until every up until the other people who are part of nafta start benefiting and, and the competition becomes stiffer so what you do you you change up nafta so that you can protect and or to max or to protect your leverage you see this strategy that goes on in in society and i'm telling you wonder why poverty why we still have poverty why we still have income inequality because the system is created okay to transfer wealth from the rich, from the poor to the rich and then the rich feel sad by creating charity and dole out the funds here and there so that they can but okay so that they can prevent them so that so that they, so that they don't have to pay taxes <laughs> i am telling you man this is quite this is this is interesting but this is why i'm telling you listening talking with talking to people is very important and then you can connect the dots you can connect the dots i'm talking here with uh marie smith this is the This is the Nelly Baron podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Nelly Baron podcast. I actually am in the I'm in Jersey Shore, actually Long Branch, New Jersey. Uh, in the Jersey Shore in Mammoth County. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Mammoth County, Asbury Park, Neptune, Red Bank, Little Silver, you might be familiar with Long Branch. And um, I'm here in Long Branch, and I got a chance to um, link, I linked up with my, I connected with my twin brother. Um, this time in person, We, you've heard us uh, via Zoom over the phone, but I actually had an opportunity to talk with him briefly, and we were exploring issues of work and how work is changing and how professionals are becoming much more burnt out and tired he himself is an executive and a professional where he works and um and i am i'm hearing and i i work with a lot of professionals i know a lot of professionals and executives and they're all and they're all saying the same thing middle class middle income or uh, working professional executives and they have always always been tired but it is it is a little they're saying it in a in a different way they're tired but but it it is a different kind of tired a kind of tired mixed in with a little bit of want the need for more leisure and for some people call it with a little bit of lazy but listen to the conversation with my wrist just for 4 minutes and probably you might you might be confused and you may you might not be able to tell the difference between us if you can tell us part please let me know in terms of how we speak i am a bit confused sometimes here is here is the conversation with my twin brother lost job because of covid i thought there are some what about those people who had to work during the entire covid um experience maybe and we're not considered essential but we were essential because we someone need to pay taxes for the economy to keep going that is true so we had to work so i haven't taken any vacation maybe i take a thursday friday saturday sunday off and in the meet in the midst of that I'm still working glued to my computer and only enjoy but I'm finding that I know a lot of people are saying that professionals are saying they're tired I'm exhausted and all that they're tired and 
and at the same time they say you know um i interviewed what's his name again wasim wasim was like where are the workers i mean they cannot find workers they genuinely don't want to work i mean i'm telling you they don't want to work and they have different set of morals now so they can do anything to make money like you know back in the days they have so many morals so they don't want to do this and the third while gen z they'll do whatever because they don't have morals that dictate how they make money and stuff but they don't want to work so they do the easiest things but the people who are after covid that people are trying to find work they are find people are do, who are yeah. working who are still working and going back they are doing two three four people's jobs because there's nobody there i mean the people don't want to work or the other people have passed or i don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah and because of inflation people are running around trying to get the best deal yes yeah. so it's like just like a pizza trying to get a best deal trying to undercut this person a move that usually is for you know, a thousand dollars other companies selling it for eight another one six willing to sell their souls with the move for six hundred. I said, I'm like, who is making money? How do you make money when you're right. using someone for six hundred dollars? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like quite interesting. People don't want to pay for services. I mean, yeah. you know, we live in a service and we're in service driven society, but you know, people will back people would, would but now people don't want to pay for the services. You know, I know even with Uber services, they don't want no. to pay they wanna they want a lot but they wanna pay two dollars. Yeah. I'm like if like, you don't if you cannot I flat rate's the same thing. No I mean it's a service. But so why you, you have to pay for the service? They're going to a lot right now because they don't have a good person in the company because first of all it's mean and doesn't refund people and can I tell you Ronaldo and at least when I was when he was there and I was I was on top of everything, I knew what was going on. I'm like refund, refund. That's it. We used, and that was. Listen, you have to build your clientele, and you have to maintain, especially in this society. We live in a service-oriented thing. But guess what? With YouTube and social media, we're going back to people doing it their stuff. People can fix their cars. You go on YouTube, or they call a family member who need the money, who know, who go on YouTube. Wait, wait. <laughs> Nobody wants to move themselves. That's one. Well, that is true. That is true. Moving. You're okay, fine. But nobody wants to pay. Though nobody okay, because nobody want people want people are now you I mean, service is the way now. You know, people are buying I mean using Uber to go places, people are moving companies to move and stuff. Well, Okay, Ricardo, we haven't played in a while. Hey. Okay, Ricardo, here we are. We haven't played in a while together by ourselves. She's good. That was my time with my a discussion, a brief discussion I had with my twin brother enjoyed the show and actually we were heading to the tennis court and we were about to to play a match and he actually destroyed me he beat me 6-1 6-2 but uh, i'm looking forward to our next match hopefully i'll get to avenge my loss but he but he he has my number on the tennis court and that is why i continue to play and try to improve my game and to keep healthy and fit until i can dominate my twin brother at tennis <laughs> but coming up next is uh the uh, um, uh, sneak peek into HBO's House of the Dragons, and I I call it House of the Dragon highlights how to give effective advice, and it's not really it's a, I give I share a sneak peek from um from a, 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 a scene from season one episode three um, that speaks to a very powerful to a, that provides a very powerful lesson for us. Which I which I had to but share it with you guys. So listen to it and um, and um, and listen to the discussion that I had. Now, for those of us who do not know this great and epic HBO series that started recently, it's called House of the Dragon. And I'm here watching season one, episode three. And there's a particular scene which is a must-see. Uh, because it speaks to the whole issue of strategy. 
and it speaks to the whole issue of influence how do you get people to move <laughs> especially people who are stubborn people and or people who are at a higher level or different level than you are how do you influence how do you provide great advice and by the way house of the dragons is the is is the, is the is the prequel to for for to game of thrones and just remind remind us that house of the dragons is how many years before um game of thrones 172 years so the 172 years before, okay and we are watching the film and here it is that this king wants her his daughter to be happy and he's wrestling with the decision and you'll have to watch the the, the show um, to find out why he's wrestling with the decision but um and this is we're not doing a promo for the show but as i said <laughs> we are not and as i said to you anything that is worth learning it's worth learning i mean it's and anything that you know it's you get there's an opportunity in everything and you know i said to you earlier when i watched it in my globalization i had i discovered a different appreciation uh, and a different approach to watching films and tv and shows and so on i go i dissected i go deep but this was not expected whoever the writers of this particular scene man they did an exceptional job because you got we're going to play two scenes because the scene that i want you to listen to it's after this scene that you're about to see the first scene is the king speaking with his um advisor the the the, the hand of the king um and the advisor is making a recommendation which the king is is becoming much more uncomfortable <laughs> and you're going to hear the response you listen to this listen to listen to this first advice but then listen to the second one and see how and see how the second one is best is best practice okay this best practice because you this particular advisor was able to kill three stones with one bird here is the scene from HBO House of the Dragons There is another choice beyond Castle Rock. One perhaps you might be more comfortable with one closer to home. <laughs> Who do you have in mind? <laughs> Prince Egon. The boy just turned two, what? but it would cease the endless proposals for Ramiro's hand. <laughs> Betrothed, I came here to have it. Not to be suffocated by all this... Politicking! Let us speak no more of it. Sir Creston went after her, so the hope is that they are together. The girl is a heedless contrarian. Fine stuff forbade her to wed a Lannister. She would have run off with Lord Jason out of spite. A truly great Targaryen king I am. Powerless over my own daughter of seven and ten. King Jaehaerys ruled over half a century of peace while his children drove him to the edge of madness. His daughters in particular. <laughs> It is tradition, Your Grace. 
Do you wish to hear my opinion on the matter? Uh, sure, I guess. You believe that you, son, Sahau and Great Bones, the strongest knight in the Seven Kingdoms, is the best match for you. You flatter me, Grace, but no. It would seem to me the best match for Rhaenyra is the son of the Seasack, Selena. Some years ago, I counseled you to take his sister to wife. My reasoning remains the same. Lenor is of pure Valyrian descent. He shares blood with your cousin, the Princess Louise. And he is the heir to the wealthiest house in the realm. The breach between your houses has not narrowed since I last spoke of it. It would do much to assuage Lord Corlys of any slight freedom. Or imagined. We must pray, of course, that Lenor survives the fighting in the Stepstones. Absolutely epic. He, his suggestion made the king stop drinking. <laughs> Moved the king so much. And this is what I'm talking about when we talk about strategy. You know, the hand of the king, the hand of the king's recommendation and suggestion was selfish. You know, you notice that? It was selfish because the hand of the king was recommending that the the king's the king's daughter, the princess, marry the king's firstborn son, Prince Aegon, who is just two years old. Her half-brother, the princess's half-brother. Now, of course, you, you mentioned earlier about the issues of abnormality, but you notice the king did not make even mention of that. That wasn't a concern because in those days it was okay. That sort of thing happened. And that, you know, you mentioned some what happened in Egypt within terms of abnormalities within the monarchy or within nobility. But the but the king didn't even for the king the king said, Oh, he's only two, he didn't say wait, that's his half sister. He didn't the king half brother. That's that that's Raina's half brother quite powerful but this was also quite interesting the hand of the king the hand of the king's son is the hand of sorry the hand of the king's nephew who is the hand of the sorry, grandson is who prince Aegon. so he wanted his grandson to marry the king's half uh, the king's daughter so that was another selfish recommendation so that it would even solidify his name and his and his line and his family's pro um, prominence now listen to the second one the second one was full of <sighs> stealth and grace respect but strategy because the recommendation was one that was unselfish because the king first thought, oh, you're recommending your son or a family member. He said, no, 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 no. Far from it. I'm recommending someone that you and your house have a have some bone with. But, okay, there's a wedge between you and another house and this particular house will help. If, if you marry to this, your daughter to this house, it will help to bring the houses together, which is a very wealthy, powerful house. But... And the king thought about it, and the king, hmm, twitched a bit. Wait, the king said, why didn't I think about that? The king didn't really say that, but you could, based on the, the expression and the, 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 the response, the silent response and the gesture, it would suggest, wait, that, that's an idea. But then after that, he said, but guess what? This particular gentleman, this particular knight, and I'm recommending that you are considering now, he's in, he's in the steps, though. 
And please remember that they were trying to they were trying to get the king to end to enter the stepstones because his brother is in a war and they're trying to get the king to enter the war, but the king would not. And this same gentleman tried to do that, but now this time he came back around and used this particular strategy, this particular, this particular issue to get the king to now consider to go to war in the stepstones so that he can now save this, save this knight that he's recommending, that, that he's recommending to the king as his, as, as, as the king's. As, as Raina's choice for marriage. So this this is quite powerful, man. And of course, you know what's going to happen next. The king may probably do. I haven't seen the next uh, the next scenes to know what's going to happen. But you can watch what happens afterwards. This is the Neoliberal Round podcast. This is this is really interesting. So now we we as, we we just saw selfish versus unselfish advice. And how you can use three stones to kill one bird. I guess that's what you call the, the pork in politics. Yes. Or the pork in a bill. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. I'm so sorry I wasn't able to really contribute like I was able to contribute that last time. I was in the middle of writing up a report and I need to concentrate. I'm so sorry. I have to like Thank you for listening to the Neoliberal Round Podcast Join us on Wednesday for part 2 of a series that we had begun uh, some time ago entitled Serving the World Today to Solve Tomorrow's challenges where i share the journey so continue to state uh continue to listen to the show and um share it with your friends subscribe so that you are notified on the next show when it's released what good